The reason why there wasn't that kind of discussion, the same kind of energy about the devil, was because uh, at the end of the 20th century, most people thought the devil was pretty irrelevant, whereas God still had some currency. And so they weren't particularly interested in devil kind of questions, you see. Um, and this wasn't really surprising, for since the 18th century Enlightenment, the devil had been dismissed quite regularly as part of um, mythology, as part of uh, a fairy story, as part of um, you know, medieval, uh, a medieval world that we'd gone beyond. So since the 18th century, um, it, it, the, the devil and demons have been dismissed by most modern, educated Westerners, at least. The world was no longer seen as a battleground between good and evil forces, between God and the devil, but it was secularised. You know? It's all about politics and getting on with each other. And uh, forget about that mythology that uh, may have had some use in the past, but certainly not in the present. With the rise of modern science, um, many were prepared to say there might be still a role for religion of some kind, but certainly there was no place for such superstitions as evil spirits, demons and the devil, magic, all that kind of stuff. So there was this dismissal, end of 20th century. It's interesting, however, though, that despite the dismissal of the devil from Western society for some hundreds of years, as the 21st century opened, and if you look back across the last decade, our first decade of the 21st century, um, there had, we can detect a resurgence of interest in such things, in the powers of evil. It's there in our fiction and our fairy, fairy tales. You know? um, I mean, even my daughter, who's 21, has grown up with Harry Potter, for example. You know, and She's like a brother to him. <laughs> Sorry, he's like a brother to her. Okay. Um, it's there in our fiction, our fairy tales. It's there in the big and the small screen with movies, uh, whole television series being given over to the dark underworld of demons, witches, vampires, and uh, super, the, the supernatural. Um, and uh, at the moment, the thing that's becoming bigger and bigger uh, is, is zombies, which is sort of the living dead related, related to... Um, I think it's related to the theme somehow. Okay. Um, now, not only that... There's an interesting... Anyone heard the name John Edwards? Yeah? So, John Edwards is an interesting phenomenon too. He's a medium. And he started off, started off uh, with a show on American cable TV that became so big that it switched to the networks. And then in 2008, I think... I'm not sure whether he might have been here another, another time as well before that, he, he did a world road show, including coming to Australia. And uh, so the, here's, here we have a medium that became an entertainment. It was entertainment. See? So this is, again, another il illustration about how these things came in. Sorry, I might have quoted the wrong year then. In 2008, the other one I want to do in 2008 was there was a... Did anyone see the TV series The One? Uh, oh, man, you don't watch the same television as I do. <laughs> it was the search for Australia's um, greatest psychic. psychic. Yeah. And, and it, was a, it was like a game show, but you had all these psychics that had to, you know, they were testing their powers. One stage they went down to try and find Ned Kelly's bones at, uh, at uh, Pentridge Jail and all kinds of, you know, really interesting things. But it's interesting, this, this is part of what I'm trying to get, illustrate is there's all kinds of evidence that the, the other world or the underworld has had a resurgence of interest. Um, uh, Somebody. <laughs> it was never a surprise who was voted on. It was predicted. <laughs> now, the resurgence of interest in the dark powers is part of what's got hard-nosed Enlightenment scientists like Richard Dawkins, uh, a representative of the New Atheist, rather jumpy. Because Western society, according to the theory that he believed, he's a product of the you know, coming to his adult life and uh, academic life in the 60s, According to his sort of framework, very enlightenment thinker, Western society is supposed to have grown out of such things. And so it's really irritating to him that we haven't. <laughs> and part of his attack on Christianity is because of all the superstition that he sees that's out there as well. And, um, you know, how come we don't seem to be happy? This is what he can't, you know... So he's irritated by it. But the question it raises is, how come we don't seem so happy to have the devil and all his works dismissed from our society anymore? So the point is, it's on the rise, okay? right when you, where you and I are sitting. Um, no, not right here, out there. So. Now, what lies behind the current resurgence of interest in the devil? How do people respond now that spiritual things are once again on the, the agenda, but things that we don't really have a way of proper understanding, properly understanding? Such things 
as the underworld, these dark things, are fearful, fascinating and mysterious. That's part of their attraction. Uh, such things are mysterious. They sort of break into the humdrum of ordinary existence, um, saying that there are dimensions beyond the ordinary. Now, this might be simply because we want to be entertained by something other than ordinary life. You know, so we go to the movie theatre and the supernatural, or watch telly on the, you know, the supernatural, becomes something that you know, stimulates in the, us in a different way than the, the, uh, the photocopier at the office or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they're mysterious, break into the ordinary um, humdrum existence, and they perhaps some promise some relief from the ordinary, some break from the boredom. And such things are fascinating too. They, they draw people in. Uh, we want to know more. Um, even, even the um, Dan Brown novels, for example, uh, are in this category where you know, the system of signs and symbols and puzzles, this has fascinated people for centuries. You're drawn in to say, if only we understood the secrets that would unlock the universe for us. So um, They're fascinating. And we also know, however, that these things are fearful. I mean, part of the thrill of sitting in a movie with these sort of things is they scare you to death, right? And it's the adrenaline rush that uh, you know is part of it. I know, I know that um, you know, there's other things to do that as well. But spiritual powers, especially evil powers, um, are scary. Uh, they can, you can be scared by them. Now, part of the fascination, perhaps, with these mysteries might be just the open question: What if there is something there like this? Uh, what if? The universe does have these dark recesses with dark beings in them. Um, and even though it might be in our fantasy world, um, there are those who cross over as well and ask the question, is there really something out there that might harm us? Um, that Living with the Underworld book that um, Simon mentioned, uh, I've had lots of different responses to it. Um, one of the best ones was where a, a student of mine sent me an email saying, Peter, I just read your book in one sitting. I couldn't put it down. I thought, that was, well, that's pretty good. But then I found out she, was, uh, she had all kinds of essays and things to do, so it was a distraction, so it didn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> but another one, a, a, a young man uh, who, who hadn't read the Bible before read it, and he told me that once he read this, he started sleeping with the light on. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, that wasn't the intention of the book. It was trying to calm his fears. But see, these things are fearful, fascinating, and mysterious. And perhaps despite the, uh, the promise of the fascinating side of the mystery, there is a dark underbelly that threatens and creates fear in people as well. Now, fourthly, in this introduction, Christian responses, it's probably no surprise that as Western society in general has been witnessing a resurgence of interest in the devil and the dark powers below ordinary life, there has also been a similar resurgence of interest in some Christian circles as well. Um, increasingly... Uh, the church's uh, charismatic Christianity increasingly has become focused upon the devil and the demons. Uh, there are those among such circles who are saying, right in their own city, um, that uh, everyone needs to know, learn more about the devil because if you don't know about him, he's going to get you. And the, the secret to dealing with the enemy is to know all about him so you can be one step ahead of him. And so you must educate yourself about the devil thoroughly um, so that you can avoid his attacks. Um, and I'll say a little bit more about this, this, uh, this uh, rise, other things related to this rise in charismatic Christianity. Charismatic Christianity, is, over the, over the uh, years it's been in existence, keeps on morphing into something else. I don't know, I don't know whether you're aware of that, but the, at different decades you can say what their, um, their focus has been. So originally a focus on healings, uh, then it went to a focus on tongues, then it went to a focus on signs and wonders, then where it is at the moment is it's focused upon the devil. Uh, it's, it's called, um, it's been labelled by the, by the people who watch these kind of things, expansive charismatics, charism, uh, charismatic Christianity, because it's giving an expanded role to the devil and demons, but I'll talk about that a little bit more later on. So there's been some Christian responses to this rise. We see the same kind of rise within our um, brethren. Now, of course, how do you approach such questions? What should we know about them, about the, uh, the devil, the underworld, all these kind of things? And, and, of course, the main thing we need to ask, I think, is what does the Bible say about the devil? That's where we're going to find our information. And more importantly than even asking what does the Bible say about it, or maybe the same, it's the same question, what does it say that Jesus has done about him, about the devil and demons 
Um, you know, we don't want to just find out about them, but what does it say about what Jesus has done, which is, after all, he's the one who's at the centre of the, the scriptures. Now, we can't do everything tonight. That's why I'm coming back next week as well. <laughs> but um, uh, what I want to do tonight is just to give you some five parameters uh, which help us to think about this topic. Okay? Now, in the question time, you might, you, you might ask questions about anything you like, but um, uh, this is just sort of five, five um, parameters that help us to think about um, these kind of things. The first one is there is a dark side to this world. Uh, the Bible is clear about that, even though it doesn't tell us, doesn't give us exhaustive knowledge about the dark underworld. I think it only gives us very partial knowledge. That's all we need. But um, it's certainly very clear that there is a dark side to the world. Uh, Enlightenment Enlightenment thinkers, since the 18th century that is, have tried to dismiss the devil. Secular Westerners may have also dismissed evil powers from their minds, but the Bible is clear that evil powers are operative in this world. Uh, And there are three kinds of evil powers mentioned. Here's where I'm just doing a quick summary for you. Okay. Um, I, I call them, I've got little labels for them just to try and, um, part of what I'm, I, I try and do is just, uh, because they're fearful, sorry, um, fearful, fascinating and mysterious, um, we can get you know, caught up in them too much. So what I try and do is just hose them down by, by using uh, sort of stupid little names for them. <laughs> but the first category of um, evil powers mentioned by the, in the scriptures are what I call the dirty demons. The dirty demons. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels that uh, Jesus is dealing with unclean spirits? That's what they're called, unclean spirits. So there's my dirty demons. Now, a lot of this, if you, if you look at uh, other texts from the ancient world, you can find similar things. Okay? So it's not, they're not unique to the Scriptures. And these unclean spirits, they really come in in a big way when Jesus began his ministry. That's where we see, see them in the Gospels. And in fact, only in the three Gospels, Matthew, Matthew Mark and Luke. They're not, not, in, not really there in John. Um, so we see these dirty demons, the unclean spirits that seem to rise up against Jesus. He deals with them before he goes off um, to, to, to the next appointment. This, these are the spirits of the underworld, the, the spirits of the dead, in fact, in the ancient world. They're, they're like ghosts in the ancient world um, that were so familiar to ancient societies and non-Western societies today. Ancestors. You know, the, the unclean spirits were in that category. You know. um, and they are the demons that lay behind idolatry and behind the spiritual powers behind uh, magic, um, divination, that is trying to predict the future, and uh, I've already said idolatry. Okay, so there's the first group, unclean spirits. See Matthew, Mark and Luke, that's where you find them. <laughs> okay. um, the second group, the pasty principalities. Okay. Pasty, pallid, pale, like a corpse, you know, the pasty principalities. These are the powers that reside uh, resided above the earth. You've got the unclean spirits from below, the pasty principalities, the ones above. Um, they are thought to reside in spaces in the stars, between, uh, between earth and the moon, above the earth, uh, sorry, above the moon, um, in, uh, in, 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 in positions in the zodiac, wherever it might be, but they're basically above the earth. And they are thought to have... Um, uh, control over various things in the universe and also these are the ones that you, after you died there were, these were the nasty beings that may meet you um, in, the, in the afterlife somewhere this is what the ancient world thought about them and these people, or the people these things, press their way into the New Testament as well, uh, Paul talks about them in terms of principalities and powers, thrones dominions, rulers again he doesn't say much about them, he just lists them um, but these, these are, are poked their way into the New Testament as well. Um, so there's the second group, the pasty principality. The third group is a group of one. That is the devil himself. I don't need to give him a, a, any new fancy name because he's got enough names anyway in the New Testament. Uh, he's given a whole heap of names which tend to describe different aspects of his function or his character. He is the one who's Satan, which means the accuser uh, or the adversary. He's the devil, which means the slanderer. Uh, he's the tempter, the evil one, um, the murderer, the liar. There's all kinds of names uh, given to this, this one being. If you look in other ancient texts, um, you might find all kinds of demons with all kinds of names. Uh, but in the New Testament, we do find other kinds of uh, evil beings, but the only one that's named is the devil. And he's given a variety of names. 
as if he's the real opponent that we want to that we want to realise about. Okay, you with me so far? Good. Okay. Now he also this, the devil has several functions. Um, let's have a look at a, a Bible verse or two. Um, actually, I've got to I've got to hurry up, don't I? Because you need to have time questions. So. I've um, just noticed my time. 8.44. John 8.44. John 8.44, we have uh, Jesus saying to to his opponents, "You you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But he's not the sort of person you want to take home to meet mum. He, he lies in order to kill. And you know this from the beginning. Jesus talks about the beginning. And you know this from the story way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. This is exactly what he did for Adam and Eve to cause the fall. He lied in order to kill. Because as they sinned under his, own, under his temptation, then death entered the world. And so he lied in order to kill. And Jesus goes back to that passage as he explains the devil. And you see quite a, quite a number of text in the New Testament where this association between lies and, and killing uh, comes in. He's a murderer from the beginning. So yes, there is a dark side to this world and it's been there since the beginning of human history, at least. Notice the second parameter is it's part of God's world. This dark side of the world is always part of God's world. Um, there is no dualism in the Bible. Now, dualism is where you see that there's God and the devil, who are equal and opposite forces, uh, where they're just as strong as each other. Um, But that's not the Bible's picture. Um, There's never two forces, one good and one evil, in in the scriptures, battling it out to see who might win. Um, Now, unfortunately, in in a lot of the charismatic thinking that's come out over the last 30 years or so, this is the sense you get. Has anyone ever read any Frank Peretti novels? Yeah. Which, where there was a series of them in the 80s you know, that yes. came out. And those novels were so influential that they actually changed people's thinking so that they think that what, it was, what he was saying in, in a fictional form was actually true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this has been documented a number, in a number of different places. Mm-hmm. But this, this is the picture you get in Frank Peretti novels. They're, they're racy little stories. But basically you never know whether God's going to win or the devil's going to win um, in, in, the, in this, in this uh, great cosmic battle that's going on. Um, but none of the forces of evil are ever regarded as independent of God. The dirty demons, the pasty principalities, even the devil himself, are always part of God's world. And even though it may be hard for us to understand fully, whenever they are operating, they are serving God's purposes, not their own. Uh, our God is so big that he can even use evil uh, to bring about his purposes. And that always sort of makes us feel rather strange. But uh, it's not that he's evil himself, but he can uh, use... Which is great. I mean, it's great if he can because the world's so full of evil. Um, evil never thwarts his purposes. He, he can override it and bring about his purposes nevertheless. Now, you might remember the story in Job chapter 1 and 2 uh, where Job's wandering around on the earth and he comes to report to, to God. That's the picture that's put... Sorry, sorry, the devil is wandering around the earth. Comes to report uh, to, to God and um, God says, What do you think about my servant Job? He says, oh, he's got it pretty easy, really. If you, if you let me at him, I'll, I'll show you that he'll renounce you and he won't follow you. And So then, that, that, then it begins about 38 chapters of misery for Job, <laughs> uh, inflicted on him by the devil. Okay, So um, he gets a pretty bad gig in the Bible, really. Um, but just think about that little early part. The devil didn't just go and do something. He, sought, he was given permission by God to do it. So there's a, an example of how the devil is not a free agent. He's under God's control. Or supremely, think about the cross of Christ. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, you could say because of the envy of the religious teachers of the day. The scriptures say that. But then you can also say because he was betrayed by one of his, one of his friends, Judas. And the scriptures say that. But the scriptures also say that Satan entered Judas. Luke 22, verse 3. Um, and not only that, but you, could, you, could, you can also say... Probably the biggest thing you could say is that Jesus died because it was necessary as part of God's plan. Now, all of those things are true. Different dimensions, different way of looking at it. And so, once again, you can see that even though putting uh, the Messiah to death was an evil thing to do, betraying him as a friend, an evil thing to do, 
um, declaring an innocent man, you know, declaring Jesus to be innocent at the trial and yet still crucifying, evil thing to do. But nevertheless, through this evil action, God's purposes reign supreme. And so, again, there is another moment you can see the devil is um, it's all according to plan. Uh, sorry, the devil is not um, independent. He's part of God's word, world. Now, God's ordinary world, I'm going to say more about this next week. Um, so I'm going to just jump over this at the moment. Um, uh, but I won't say too much. I'll say a little bit more next week. But this is where I wanted to say, in these recent expansive charismatic circles, where the devil has given an expanded role, um, uh, what's, let me explain what, what's happening here. Um, you see... When people think about the devil or demons, uh, and then Hollywood kicks in and fans that flame, fans that into flame, you've got these dramatic stories in the gospel where Jesus goes into the synagogue in Capernaum, for example, an unclean spirit rises up against him, he deals with it, and there's this very dramatic moment, and then Hollywood gets that, and that's the kind of thing we see in exorcism films or supernatural movies, this big battle between evil forces, and uh, in these expansive charismatic circles, they grab onto this as well. And they speak as if the devil only ever acts in extraordinary ways. And so what's happened there, with the word expansive charismatic, the devil's got an expansive role, what's happened is you no longer have things like good old-fashioned sins and human negative emotions. So in these circles, again, they're in our city, so you you might come across them sometime. Um, You know, once upon a time, you used to have the sin of, um, you know, greed. But now you don't have the sin of greed, you have the demon of greed. So if you're a greedy person in these circles, you need not uh, repentance and training in the way of righteousness, but you need some kind of exorcism. Or, again, you might have a problem with depression. In the old days, that would have been an emotional problem, a psychological issue, that you get help from in a variety of different ways. Or you might have the problem of anxiety. But now you no longer have anxiety or depression with a little DNA, you have Depression with a D, big D, capital D, meaning you've got the demon of depression. Um, or you've got the demon of anxiety. And now, and so what you need is not just psychological help or help from your Christian friends or whatever it might be. You need to be delivered of your demon. Now imagine, you know, I mean, I think this is wrong. Well, I just say that right up front. I think it's, a, it's misreading the scriptures. But imagine the extra problem that's causing for people with anxiety or depression but then actually think that, oh, you know, I've been depressed for a long time and that's because I've got a demon in me as well. It's, a, you know, it's horrendous. Um, but this is being said. Okay? Now, what, what's happened is it, it's, there's a move to see that the, the devil always operates dramatically, extraordinarily. And then so then there's no such thing as ordinary life anymore uh, or ordinary problems. Those ordinary problems now have a demonic overlay as well. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week. There is a very ordinary way that the devil works, not in the very dramatic things like you see in the, in the, um, in the miracle stories in the Gospels. And there is an ordinary part of life, um, you know, which, uh, which, again, I've said this several times, I'll do it next week, I won't do much tonight. Um, it's always part, the devil's part of God's ordinary world. Part of God's ordinary world. There are reasons why you get those dramatic encounters when Jesus arrived. Why? Because Jesus arrived. When the Messiah came, all of a sudden you get this flurry of activity. It's not there in the Old Testament. It's not there in the rest of the New Testament. It's there in the Gospels. Um, because it seems to, make, to put that together, the Messiah arrives and the devil knows he's on his last, on his last legs. The guy who's going to get him has arrived and he seems to rise up against him. So, um, Anyway, more, more of that next week. Fourth thing, the dark side has already been neutralised. Here is the good news. Um, the good news is that Jesus has come, and uh, he's already neutralised the devil. I'm referring to Hebrews chapter 2 and 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Um, Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus became a man so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He might neutralise the devil. And he has done it. He's neutralised the devil. Um, He did this by dying on the cross. Just before he went to the cross in John 12, 31, he said, now is the time 
that the prince of this world is cast out uh, just as going to the cross. It's the cross that neutralises the devil, that destroys the devil's power. Have you ever thought about how that happens? It's a beautiful thing um, how it happens. And what I, want is, what, what I want you to see is Jesus actually deals with the devil, neutralises his power indirectly. We tend to think of Jesus dealing like in the exorcism, it seems to be fairly direct. Uh, but that's still just foreshadowings of what he was going to do on the cross. And on the cross, he dealt with the devil indirectly. What does the devil do? Uh, the word devil, slanderer, the word Satan, accuser. Uh, he's pictured in the book of Zechariah as accusing people before God of their sin. This is what he does. He accuses us of our sin. And if, um, uh, if according to God's laws, God's ways, the sinner deserves death because the wages of sin is death, uh, when the devil accuses us rightly of being a sinner, he holds the power of death because he, it's like him saying to God, there's a sinner, he deserves death. See? So he holds the power of death by his accusation. What does Jesus do on the cross? Everybody knows this, don't he? <laughs> he died for our sins. Now, if he died for our sins and we get forgiven for our sins, what ground of accusation has the devil got? None. So indirectly, Jesus destroys the power of the devil by dealing with our sins. It's not a turn around and have a face-on confrontation. It's actually he deals with the problem of our sin. We no longer deserve death, and the devil is neutralised. The one who used to hold the power of, de power of death is neutralised, according to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. The dark side has already been neutralised. What good news. And so there's no need to fear, but plenty of reason to laugh. Uh, now, you're going to look um, in your discussion groups at the end of Romans chapter 8, um, where you'll find some pasty principalities, <laughs> all neutralised. And uh, Romans chapter 8 is just a chapter of great joy at the end. Um, and there's plenty of reason to, to, to rejoice that Jesus has uh, uh, neutralised the devil. For sure, the devil is still around. Uh, the New Testament tells us that we are to be alert and to resist him, but we shouldn't, be too, um, shouldn't treat him too seriously okay. the, because Jesus has defeated him already. Um, or, the ordinary Christian life is now the way we live the, um, that we battle the devil, if you want to put it that way. Spiritual warfare, the only place in the, in the, New, in the New Testament where that's, that term is used is in Ephesians chapter 6. And there's nothing about doing exorcisms or deliverances or anything like that. What it's about is getting on and living the Christian life. Faith, hope, love, the gospel of peace, prayer, um, and, and the other parts of the armour there. Now this is a great reason for laughter and joy. Firstly, over the devil's defeat, but secondly, or more importantly, over the uh, joy about the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shouldn't have to be worried about the devil. We shouldn't be afraid of the devil. And despite our, the, our charismatic friends who may have given him an expanding role, the one result of that is it increases fear. And this is therefore shows to me it's not a Christian ministry, because Christian ministry brings assurance, peace and joy, uh, because we're talking about the gospel of Christ. So, Christ on the rise. The devil may once again be on the rise in our society, amongst our Christian friends, uh, but we must not become obsessed with the devil again. We have a far more important message. Christ has risen from the dead. Okay. So, I think uh, I should have probably stopped a few minutes ago, but um, there's about a few, there is a few minutes for questions. Okay. Yep, this is one of the big problems, big, big questions, yeah. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing to puzzle over. There's been various Christian theories, Christians have put different theories there, and um, sometimes it goes like, uh, just like you had Adam and Eve sinning against God in the Garden of Eden, and this is the fall of humanity. So there was another fall back in, you know, pre-creation days in which there was a, a fall of Satan rebelled in heaven, uh, and fell so that you have this whole bunch of fallen angels which then become demons. So this is, that's been the usual theory. It's interesting though in John chapter 8, that verse I read, John 8, 44, Jesus, when he's talking about the devil, he says, from the beginning he's been a murderer and a liar, and that from the beginning goes back to Genesis 3. 
In other words, I think it's a question we, we just don't have the answer to. But um, like so much in the scriptures, we're told what we need to know to live in this world. And what he says is from the beginning of human history, the devil has been a liar and a murderer. So I'm, I can't help you really. Uh, I can tell you the usual theory. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's based on very good biblical evidence. It's based on a couple of passages which could be and probably should be read a different way. But when Jesus talks about it at the beginning, it's Genesis 3. It's not prior to that. So can't, sorry. And that's good because you asked that question. I can't answer it. So any other question I can say, I can't answer as well. And we'll go home none the wiser. Are you saying that there's no mental illnesses caused by demons? Um, am I saying that? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, but I'm saying we, we, we don't need to... Uh, I, I was actually speaking against the opposite tendency to say all mental illness is caused by demons. Okay? Um, we don't, we, you know, we don't need to... I don't need to go the other way. Um, I guess the, the issue is, um, in terms of our ministry to one another, the issue is, uh, it's, it's great actually, we don't need to diagnose one way or the other, um, because the, the, the ministry that we have to people is exactly the same, no matter, no matter what. So our ministry is always, Christian ministry is very simple, There's no, it's not complicated. It's all about bringing the word of God to people in the context of love, and, pray, and praying. So word of God and prayer in the context of love. That's Christian ministry. That's what we're always doing. Now, if someone's troubled uh, with anxiety or depression or some kind of other mental illness, word of God and prayer in the context of love, and love may also help them to, you know, we might steer them in the right direction of professional help, whatever it is. Um, and, 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 but we're still doing word of God and prayer in the context of love. If someone is uh, troubled mentally by a demon, uh, it doesn't make any difference to what we do. See? We're, not caught, we're never called upon, the scriptures never call upon us to do anything else other than the word of God and prayer in the context of love. We're not to be engaged in deliverance ministries, we're not to be engaged in exorcisms, this is not something we're called to do. Um, and so, what, if, you're, if you're worried about that kind of thing, what do you do? You speak to your heavenly father about it. See? Um, and this is, this is a great thing to know that, you know, there are evil powers in this world, but they're always under God's authority. And so why bother talking to the underling? <laughs> Just go straight to the Father, you see? And the, part of the problem in the charismatic circles is the way they're encouraging people to, to directly deal with de devils and demons. They have dialogues with them and things like this. Very dangerous, you know? I mean, and why would you do it? I mean, you know, Jesus himself silenced them and didn't, didn't let, them let them talk. And in these sort of circles, they're drawing them out and having a conversation with them. No, it's, it's misguided, and we're not called upon to do it. We're called upon to speak to our Heavenly Father on behalf of people. No, that, that's absolutely correct. I mean, for half of my life, I'm in my mid-30s now, um, I attended a charismatic church, and I'd agree with, with many of those things. Um, and I, I remember, I think, recently there was some bad press on the news where there were teenage girls that are actually drawing out and playing with them. That, that is very dangerous. But, I mean, we... I don't necessarily agree with that at all. I mean, we, we focus on, um, you know, Christ is absolutely is king, but um, there is a place for deliverance. Um, but we don't focus on um, you know, the expanding role of healing. But I think um, we're aware of it. I, I think there's I think there's more complexity to it than, than what, what you're saying. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd need to find somewhere in the New Testament where I'm I'm told to exercise a, a ministry of deliverance and I don't see it there that's all so whereas I do see word of God and prayer all the time and sure and, and that's exactly what we're what we yeah, into yeah, yeah. but but I mean you know it's, it's, it's not it's an, in awareness that there are spiritual forces that trouble people um, and can trouble their, trouble their minds you know awareness of that we still have the same ministry prayer and the word of God and if we if we worried that there might be a particular uh, demonic thing or the devil might be attacking someone in a different way, we, we might wonder that. We don't need to diagnose that is all I'm saying. What we need to do is pray to God and put our concerns to him about our friend or about ourselves and uh, and he will take care of that because he's in charge. So I think the deliverance ministry in fact in, in these in these charismatic circles, uh, they're starting to be worried about deliverance ministries themselves because they realise that what happens is people get obsessed with, with this and it's, it's unhealthy. I, I think it has a place, but I, I certainly wouldn't say that I wouldn't tire everybody with the same approach. No. 
Well, well, if it has any place at all, we'd need to find somewhere in the scriptures where it's encouraged. So, yeah. And I can't find it. Fine. How are you? <laughs> um, it seems like in the Eastern world that they are more aware of um, the spiritual world than, say, the Western world. Um, I'm just thinking, like, I might maybe misquoting this, but from this movie, The Usual Suspects, I remember that there's this quote about the devil, something like, um, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convinced the world doesn't exist. And I wonder, like, you know, you don't, in the Western world, like in Australia, for example, you don't see many demon-possessed people, that kind of thing. Do you think the devil is most successful, in a sense, in the Western world because of the fact that we don't kind of invite the spiritual world into our lives or our thoughts, that he sort of lets that happen because, well, we do a pretty good job of distancing ourselves from, from God. Yeah, so he's, it's an easy, he has an easier job. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. No, 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 I get, I get your question exa yeah. exactly. Uh, next week, this is why I want to talk about ordinary evil. And I, I want to talk about how the devil, like, you know, the, the, the dramatic, flashy stories we might get from Jesus' encounter with the, devil, with, the, with the demons, we don't want to make that the paradigm for how the devil works. He works in very ordinary ways and therefore very active in the Western world as well, um, like, you know, but in different ways. Uh, yes, and, and the, in other cultures, um, you'll find people much more alive to the spiritual world than we might be. Um, let's say that it's usually called an animistic society where there's a spirit, you know, the spirits are in everything. Um, we're secularists, where the spirits are in nothing. The animistic society is where the spirit is in everything. And the answer for the Western person is not to become an animist, and the answer for the animist person is not to become a secularist, we need to all become Christians. <laughs> and a, and a, Christian, a, a Christian view is that God is in charge. There are evil forces in the world which we, take, um, you know, we need to be aware of. And, but we deal with them exactly, or Christ deals with them on the cross. And we, we deal with them in Christian ministry in the same way through the word of God and prayer in the context of love. So, yeah. How much does, do you think um, uh, the Western world is Jesus must have been like a massive whoops yeah. after he found out the consequence of that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, now this is, you know, I said that there's no dualism in, in the scriptures. God is in charge, the devil is uh, under his authority. This is an, it's not, your question illustrates this again because uh, if it's equal, equal and opposite forces, that's dualism. But that's not the way it is in, in, in reality. Bible tells us about reality. Uh, and, the, and the trouble is, the tendency that we... We know God's world. So we know about order. We know about planning. We know about purposing. But these are all good things that come from God. The, the, the trouble when we think about the devil is we can keep on attributing these kind of things to him as well. And now a dualist would say, well, God has his plan, so does, the, so does the devil. And they clash with each other. So, well, God is, uh, you know, has his ways of working... And so does the devil. He has strategy as well. and They clash with each other. So, so, but see, we've got to ask the question, why do we do that? Why do we attribute things that belong to God to the devil as if he's another God, just a dark one? I think, why not do it another way and say, well, the God is the God of order. The devil is chaotic. God is the one who plans and purposes. The devil just does random acts of violence. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that, that, that opposition might be, might be more helpful for us to think. So with the... Um, you know, with the entry of, of Judas, you know, yeah, it happened. But um, whether or not that's part of a, a, you know, a, a, a demonic plan, just like just as strong as the divine plan, I sort of suspect, suspect it wasn't. Oh, no, it's, it's, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I'm, just, yeah. I'm wondering, um, like, even now, you must know that like, it says, you know, his time is short. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, so that's, that's, he's, that's, he's that's, so that's, full of hate and so Revelation 12 is what you're quoting, and there you see it, it's almost like it took him by surprise, which is your point that the way it's... So he didn't have a plan, he, he didn't, didn't really know where it was going to go, and then when Christ rose from the dead, it took him by complete surprise, and now he's mad. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Revelation 12 says. Yeah. My favourite genre in entertainment is supernatural. Yeah. 
Um, and I know that I need to be wise about that within my Christian walk. Advice in enjoying supernatural as a entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Keep the light on. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, like in our again in our Christian circles, you'll find different answers to that question, I think. And so let's take Harry Potter, for example. You know, there are, there are Christians who've written books against Harry Potter and saying that the parents should not allow their children to read it uh, because it has magic and all this sort of stuff in it. And, and the magic that's in those books is, is pretty much just, you know, it's out there in the world as well. So it's, it's true to life, you know, true to magic life. Um, I don't hold that position myself um, because I think, uh, you know, you, you say it's your favourite genre, uh, so you can if you're someone who can recognise genres of fiction and fantasy, uh, fiction and fantasy are good gifts from God that, that uh, help us to you know have, spark our imagination and think about things. So that, so these are good things that, you know about life. Although having said that, you know there might be times where you think, well, there's certain kinds of writing even in that genre that I think is not that help, helpful for me. Uh, books and films can be can be conceived of as friends, and you know that in life you, you pick up with some friends, and all of a sudden you realise that's he's a good friend, she's not so good. See? Mm -hmm. So, we, and and there are some same sort of things in any work of art. There are things that like art, uh, painting, um, movies, books. There are some things that you can classify as good <laughs> friends, some things you can classify as not so good. So I think you still have to be discerning in that. And I guess there might be people too who have been so troubled by. Uh, certain things, dark things in the world, it might be good to advise them to, to you know, to, to read these things. Are they telltales to be able to identify it as a bad friend? Is, it, know, is there actually, are they telltales to recognise that it's becoming a bad friend? Um, I mean, I don't think yeah, I'm yeah, at that point, yeah. but I'm just being cautious. Yeah, um, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. But yeah, just, no, of course you know, um, if, I think fear is a good one. I think fear is a good one because the gospel penetrates our fear and gets rid of it. So if something's creating fear in you, that's not a good thing to dabble with, I don't think. Uh, if it's still pleasure, like it's an adrenaline rush, and then when, when you finish reading the book or seeing the film, you're back to normal life, then, you know, so I think fear's probably a good one to watch. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and basically it's the same old thing. Anything that's taking you away from trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and finding your rest in him is the, is the, is the, is the, is the test, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't ever worked out a criteria or anything. <laughs> you need to. Anyone else? I've just got a quick comment on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about a Christian who loves watching horror films? Because, in a sense, it might not be like about the spirits, but it is kind of evil, like yeah. people getting tortured and. I think I think lines do lines need do need to be drawn. Because um, what you, you know, we're, t we're told to renew our mind by the mercies of God. And so this is probably another criteria, time spent, right? So if, if, it, if it becomes too much time spent with something uh, so that your mind is being more flooded with the horror film than it is with the Word of God, that would be a danger sign too, I think. You know, wouldn't it be? You know, so, yeah. And there, are, there might be some things that you just you know, should avoid. Yeah, Rachel. Uh, yeah, so a, see, there's a there's a fantasy world that he creates. Um, uh, does everyone know this book, Screwtape Letters? It's a it's a letter from uh, a young devil, sorry, an older devil to a young young devil, teaching him the tricks of the trade, um, and uh, all about tempting tempting humans and drawing Christians away from Christ. And so he sort of uh, it sort of twists your mind because instead of Instead of saying, um, you know, you should be following Christ, you, that message comes through in the book by the devils talking about how they're going to drag people away. <laughs> and so they, they bring all kinds of, you know, tests and temptations. I mean, it's, it's fantasy. It's a, it elaborates on the, on the scripture story, but, it, you know, it, it's built upon the truth of the New Testament. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty good read, and I think it's, it's quite useful. Really, yeah. Yeah. So it's fantasy in the service of um, Christianity. Yeah. Um, sort of going back to what about 
boy who was possessed by a demon, the disciples couldn't cast it out. And um, Jesus got annoyed with them. And they asked him why they couldn't cast it out, and he uh, attributes it to their lack of faith. Um, so it could have been that perhaps they were trying to take the demon on themselves rather than putting it to God. Yeah, it could be. Uh, they, he actually says that this, this kind is only cast out by prayer. Yeah. So it seems like they'd forgotten to pray, which is, um, which is the, the lesson, I think. Yeah. I find that story mysterious, one of the most mysterious ones. But prayer seems to be the, what, they, what they didn't do. And so therefore, if they weren't praying, then they were taking it, they were taking it upon themselves to do something um, without God. Isn't that kind of the main... Sorry, Super quick side. But is that kind of like the main sort of danger in all these things, though, is that so often there are gaps in the explanations, and it's very seductive and tempting to try and complete what you don't quite understand. And it sort of goes back to what you were saying before, that the things that God wants us to understand are very clear, and that's what Jesus has overcome and so forth. And it's very easy to, you know, put like your imagination on and look down those, um, those paths of inexplicability, so when people attribute yeah. Satan in Isaiah and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right, it's filling gaps. And, and one of the things is we, we live under, we need to learn, and, and it's a constant lesson we need to keep on learning, to live under the scriptures. And that means we need to live under the discipline of the scriptures, what the scriptures do say, and what the scriptures don't say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the hard thing that we often find, if there's a, if there's a gap there, you know, we want to fill it. See. But the, the only reason the devil is in the, in the Bible, the only reason the demons are in the Bible, is to highlight the victory of Christ. And so you don't get a full picture of them at all. Um, we don't know, and, and we're not supposed to. Um, basically, you know, they were the, they were the punching bag for our, for our boxing bout you know, that Jesus was involved in. Um, so you don't, you don't get enough to see, and, and yeah, the temptation is to plug the gaps or to imagine the devil to be you know, like this or like that. Um, like C.S. Lewis does, I mean, he, it's out in the open, it's, um, it's fantasy from the beginning, so he, you know, we know that he's making things up, but we do that all the time as well. You know? um, yeah, we shouldn't do it, we should uh, live, with the, with, live with the constraints of the scriptures. You know the verse, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children, so that we might do them. And it shows that there are two kinds of things in the world, secret things and revealed things. Um, and then the revealed things are revealed with a very practical purpose so that we may do them. So the Lord has made us, revealed everything we need to know about life. We can live life adequately because of his revelation, but there are secret things that do belong to him. And um, one of the, uh, I, won't, I won't go on too long about this, but the, one, of the th- the ten- one of the things we've got to resist all the time is uh, the spirit of rationalism, which is enlightenment thinking. It goes back to the... 18th century and on, and it's very much part of our Western culture, Enlightenment thinking, where we, we, everything has to make sense to us. And you hear the new atheist talking, it's basically saying if, 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 it, if this bit of the Christian faith doesn't make sense, it can't be true. Mm. So in other words, the only things that are true are the things that we can understand. Well, I would think that would dismiss great slabs of science <laughs> as well, really. Mm. You know, there's, there's still holes there as well, but, see, but the rationalist mind says, if I don't understand it, it can't be true. Whereas the Christian mind says, if I don't understand it, that might be because God hasn't revealed it. And, and this exercise a different restraint on us. It's, a, it's actually a forced and enforced humility mm. before the revelation of God.
yeah, anyway, I'll leave that with you to have a look at too. But I just love that, that point at the bottom there. There is no need to fear and plenty of reasons to laugh. Let me close with, I'll just read Ephesians 6, 10 and on and then I'll pray and then we'll have some supper. Um, hear these words from Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand, uh, to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I'll let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you for Peter and for blessing him with an ability to read your word um, and the illuminated to him and he can share that with us tonight. Father, we pray with thanks uh, that we um, are safe in Jesus. Uh, Father, we thank you that Jesus has died and no one can accuse him. The devil cannot accuse him because he is sinless. And Father, thank you that because we are found in him, we take on his righteousness and uh, Lord, we are safe in him. Uh, Father, we pray that we would not be people that fear but live our Christian lives fully and make Christ known in the benefits of his salvation. In whose name we pray in his name tonight. Amen. Amen. Friends, enjoy some supper, and then we'll break into our groups in about 10 minutes or so. Thanks, guys.